0: A vegan superhero is a new breed of athlete. Stronger, healthier, and driven by purpose. Vegan superheroes wage war against society's status quo and win. Vegan superheroes battle the forces of evil that profit from the suffering of others. Vegan superheroes take a stand for what they believe in and prove the haters wrong. If you ask the meatheads and clueless fitness gurus, they'll tell you that what we're doing is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. Vegan superheroes inspire change, spread compassion, challenge the status quo, and fuel the revolution. Our mission is to help you become a vegan superhero. Welcome to the Vegan Gym Podcast.
1: Hey, what's going on? My name is Leigh Farneson, and I'm joined by a very special guest today. I've got Dr. Lori Marbis. She's a double board-certified family medicine and lifestyle medicine physician who has been utilizing food as medicine since 2012. She is a co-founder of Plant-Based Telehealth, which is an organization focused on the prevention and reversal of chronic disease utilizing lifestyle medicine. This service provides access to plant-based lifestyle medicine across the United States. Dr. Marbis, welcome to the show. Thank
2: you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, awesome. So I'd love to begin by hearing kind of how you got into plant-based eating and veganism.
2: Okay. Um, That started about 10 years ago uh, in a little town called Rifle, Colorado. It's on the western slope. Uh, You know, a lot of people are familiar with Denver and the ski areas. But uh, as you continue going towards uh, Utah, there's some other smaller towns. And Rifle is where we landed after I got out of the Air Force in 2010. And one day in early 2012, I had a patient come see me and she's like, hey, Dr. Marvis, you know, meat and dairy upset my stomach. And I was like, well, stop eating meat and dairy. It seems like a logical conclusion. And in my mind, I understood there logically that there were going to be other foods that she could consume and eat and be fine. But I never really put that the category was just plants left over. Like it just didn't dawn on me. Um, And she came back in 30 days and she felt better, but she also brought her 16 year old daughter with her at that time. And she told her daughter. Now remember, this is a this is a weekday, so she pulled her daughter out of school to come to her mother's appointment. I'm thinking mm, somebody did something really bad. I'm going to have a very uncomfortable conversation about STDs or something. I, you know, that's that's where my mother mind went. So, and uh, what ended up happening is she said, so, you know, I started doing the diet with my mom, <clears throat> just trying to support her because there's not a lot of places to go out and eat in Rifle, Colorado, where there's no meat or dairy. <laughs> and she said, you know, I felt so good. I stopped both my ADD medications, my attention deficit disorder medications. And she'd been off them for 30 days and felt really, well, really good. And I was sitting there going, wow, that's really awesome. And her mom's like, yeah, why was she able to do that? And I said, I don't know, but I think that's the coolest thing I ever heard. So we really sat down and just discussed what they were doing, and it was eating, you know, the, all the things that we consume regularly. It's fruit specials, beans, whole grains, some nuts and seeds. And as soon as that appointment was over, I googled, you know, plant, you know, basically a plant-based diet. ADD and the China study came up. So I ordered the book. It came. I read it in two days. I'm sitting here going, holy moly, <laughs> this was pretty cool. Um, my husband would walk by and I was like, look, they're turning off cancer by feeding people plants. And he's like, okay. (laughs) He's like, what's going on? I don't know. Um, And within a few weeks I had, you know, I've been, I was trying to wrap my brain around it all, trying to do, find up as much research as I could in early 2012. And um, understanding that if I was going to make a shift in my practice, I'd have to make a shift in my own personal life as well. And not that we didn't eat poorly, but we certainly weren't eating plant-based. So I said, you know, I did, in my mind, I want to try this on one more patient. So I had a patient with lupus uh, came in to see me. And you got to understand in, in rural medicine, the family physician is, is the rheumatologist, the endocrinologist, the hospitalist. <laughs> you're doing everything. You're in the ERs, you're doing all sorts. So, when you have patients um, in larger cities, oftentimes with lupus and some other things, they're sent to specialists and you're just kind of parsed out. And then your family doc is supposed to orchestrate it all, but not always very well because there's just so much going on. Um, anyway, so she came in and, you know, she's on 12 meds, 50 pounds overweight, chronic pain, um, migraines daily. And she's like, you know, I don't even know if I can continue working. And she was younger than me at that time. So she was probably in her late thirties. I was in my early forties at that point. And she's like, you know, I, I I just, I can't concentrate. I can't hardly get out of bed. And I was like, well, you know, she's telling me all this. I was like, how about we just change what's on the end of your fork? I'm not sure there are any other medications that you can actually be on. She was already on um, very strong immune suppressants. She was on high doses of prednisone and I was like, why don't we just do this? I've been reading about these anti-inflammatory effects. I told her a little bit about the, you know, the other patients having some improvement and she's like, okay, I'll try anything. So before she left, we measured what we call CRP and that's a um, inflammatory marker in the blood. And it was three times high normal. And when she came back in two weeks, it had just, it had dropped about 300% and just outside of normal. And she had lost eight pounds. Her migraines are gone. If you fast forward her case in five months, she ended up being 50 pounds lighter, A seven to 12 meds, including the lupus medications, and eventually had negative lupus antibodies, which she had not had in the previous two to three years. She'd been treated with medications. So when she came back at that two week point, I was like, all right, this is it. So I went home to three teenagers. They were 13, 15, and 18. And my poor husband. And I said, we're going on a plant-based diet today. And um, my husband's like, well, are you still cooking? He goes, I said, yes. He goes, okay. <laughs> so that was pretty much it. And the kids, um, my daughter, uh, Emily went off to college. She's actually now a physician <clears throat> in Massachusetts and um, she's uh plant-based. All the, my boys are plant-based They're are 25 and 26. Well, Emily will be 28 uh, next week. And, um, but that really interesting thing happened. My husband lost 70 pounds uh, in the period of about three to four months, you know, after decades of being married, it just kind of creeps up on you. It's like, we're not sure how this happened, but now you lost it. So it's amazing. It's like, wow, this is incredible. I didn't really have two significant heart uh, health issues. I had, um, I'm have hypothyroidism for the last 25 years that my thyroid improved, not j- to the point I was off meds, but certainly a reduced uh, dose. I never had weight issues. So, but my allergies went away completely, which I had dealt with since childhood and, um, just some really incredible things happened. And when, We went overnight. I cleaned out everything. I threw it all out in the garbage. I mean, I cleared out the milk, the eggs, the everything, but had a quarter of a grass fed beef in my freezer in my garage. And when you live in Colorado, you don't just, you know, throw out meat in the garbage because it attracts things that will be harmful to you. So um, I was trying to figure out what to do with this. So that was a Friday night. On Sunday, we went to church and we came back home. And lo and behold, the freezer broke and that. No, I just want you to imagine this, the, mm, the stench in the air, the juices flowing out of the freezer. And my husband's like, if you hadn't been with me, I could have sworn that you unplugged this. I was like, no, that's just the big man upstairs saying we're done. <laughs> and I was like, "It," and that was a uh, 10 years ago now. And so, um, everything's changed since then, but it was, it's been quite a journey.
1: Wow. So is your whole family still now yep. plant-based all your yep. kids are okay. Yep. That's all
2: awesome. <laughs> yeah. All three. Yeah. It is good. Otherwise I think they did that. It. It's just easier to go plant-based and deal with mom harassing us all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but You know, they're in their twenties, um, really bright kids. They, they totally get, then understand the value one, not only to their long-term health, but the earth, the animals and we were very blessed. We have an amazing family. So I was, I was, I was really lucky because a lot of, A lot of my patients, for example, don't have that luxury of just being able to go home and say, we're going plant-based and everyone just kind of go along. Now, the kids would, you know, on occasion make some comments, but they also knew it didn't go very far. So it's just the way it
1: was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I also went plant-based primarily after reading the China study, and that just really shifted my perspective on what being... Healthy actually means, and how big of an impact our lifestyle has on our health, which in retrospect seems very obvious, but that's not something that I grew up hearing about or learning about. So that was a huge perspective shift for me. Um, I'd love to hear kind of your perspective of going through medical school, not being plant based, and now looking back and starting also in practice, not being plant based, and now looking back um and kind of what you've been experiencing over this last decade how have you seen kind of the medical and pharmaceutical industries um maybe shifting or what is kind of the general approach to kind of plant-based uh lifestyle medicine
2: some big questions yeah well we'll start with the medical education because i feel like Honestly, that's going to be a really important factor for turning the tide and, and speeding up the welcome at, so to speak, of, uh, you know, plant-based uh, lifestyle. It's becoming more mainstream, but it's not mainstream enough, I don't think. So when I started medical school, um, I started medical school with three little kids. They were five, three, and 10 months. So Emily and I started kindergarten medical school the same day. And so this was back in ninety. Nine, yeah, ninety nine and um so this is in West Texas, so <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to West Texas, but again, it is not gonna be the capital of veganism anytime soon, or plant-based eating. Um, you know, the the school was phenomenal. I went to Texas Tech. I had an excellent education when I went off to the military. I was I felt very comfortable in situations that I was put in, in the Middle East and South America. I mean, so I felt like I had a phenomenal, phenomenal education in the sense of how to react, right? In a crisis situation, um, I understood the guidelines for chronic disease management, but no one ever explained to me how to take a healthy human and keep them healthy, right? We understood there's, oh, get your mammograms, but this is early detection. This is not prevention. So the words are being used inappropriately and you know we would understand in nutrition it would be like like we took biochemistry and understand the micro you know, nutrient breakdown of carbohydrates and fats and you'd have your proteins but nobody ever spoke to what does a human need in in spite of just eating these basics what foods categories will decrease risk of heart disease decrease risk of diabetes all of these things And so you're just going along learning, oh, so if you have a vitamin D deficiency, you get this. If you have vitamin C deficiency, you get this. If you have vitamin A, you go blind. It's all these things from deficiency, which is rare in the Western world. But we, like I said, we never understood the basis of the chronic disease and how to actually prevent it in the long-term or reverse it potentially in some cases. So that was my mindset. Like nutrition was never, I understood people, you know, don't eat processed food or junk food. And I constantly was on people to do that. Um, I grew up in a home that didn't have a lot of money. We grew most of our own food. We didn't eat a lot of meat just because it was expensive. We ate a lot of beans, so many beans and lots of potatoes. We always had dairy. Um, so I understood the value one financially, but also from the standpoint of um. It, Processed food did wasn't good for you. I mean, I, I got that, the basics of it. Um, but you go fast forward 10 years and I'm sitting here in front of this patient who's telling me that she and her daughter are better <laughs> after switching their diet. I mean, it was a really quite a shift for me. Um, I had always considered myself an open-minded person. You know, someone presents data to me, I'm I'm trying not to hold on to my own beliefs. I'm I'm open to seeing the possibilities that I could be wrong or missing some information that makes my job easier or better for my patients. And that's kind of how I approached it. And you know, practicing plant-based medicine is where I would say I started because I really didn't have a handle on what lifestyle medicine was. Um, That's a whole nother category because plant-based medicine is just focused on the nutrition aspect of encouraging people to eat more plant foods. Whereas lifestyle medicine really takes a whole nother philosophy, right? You're you're talking to the patient, not only about their nutrition, but also their sleep, which we did on occasion, but a lot, again, this was prescription. Um, We would talk about exercise, but we never spoke to why it's important or, or behavior change. We never spoke to, you know, let's talk about your stress management or your community building, all these different things that together make a healthy person, which makes a healthy community. And so that's kind of the philosophy changed. But as I entered into plant-based medicine, that was really hard because I never understood quickly people got better. Uh, I learned real quick when I had to pull 60 units of insulin off a patient in 72 hours and because they were plummeting their blood sugars. And I would just, I had never seen anything like that in my life. I mean, it just, it was unheard of and at least in my, in my world. And uh, that's when I really began to respect the value of this nutrition. I was like, holy smokes, this is, this is beyond anything I could ever prescribe. And so that's how it started. And it took me about a year to feel really comfortable with prescribing this for patients. Um, what I would do is, you know, I'd have 25 patients in a day and I'd go through and I'd pick, you know, the five to eight that I felt needed to hear this information. I had put together a 30 page packet at this point um, so I could just highlight the main things to get started, small things to get going and I highlight for them what was specific and important And I was like, today we're going to talk about plants. They're like, what? (laughs) I was just getting my high blood pressure meds refilled. Like, nope, not today. We're going to talk about plants and we're going to reverse this. And, um, it started like that. And before you knew it, I had half the baseball team plant-based. So my, my youngest, uh, we had, you know, cross country runners going plant-based. We had, I had all sorts of patients. We started seeing, You know, we had requests at the grocery store. There's like two little grocery stores in Rifle. It's like, we need more plant-based milk. Suddenly there's a whole section. And, you know, it was really fun. You go to the grocery store and they'd say like, hey, Dr. Marbus, what's in your cart? You know, so I always felt (laughs) under the watchful eye of my community because it's, you know, it's like 10,000 people. Um, So that's kind of how it all started. And then it just grew from there, right? So I started um, doing lifestyle medicine classes. I switched jobs. We started a community program. I taught at the local college, a class. Um, I had a big hospital run two two courses through. We had 106 people from some of the largest employers in Grand Junction, Colorado. It's about a town of about 50,000 people go through, had great results. We did a study in our local hospital a friend of mine who's a chef came and taught our folks at the hospital how to do it. So even in rural America, which is the most least possible place that you can imagine having this happen, it people are looking for this, right? And so as time went along, I just continued to grow and learn, and lo and behold, you start seeing other. You know, you're making your connect. You're going to the Plantrition Project. You're in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and you start meeting other doctors, nurses physical therapists, registered dietitians who all believe and practice the same thing. And it's a different, it's a different feel. When I go to the like family practice, you know, your general uh, AFP, the American Academy of Family Physicians, their annual uh, meetings, they're, it's sad. It's just like, people are talking, they're not connecting. The food is, you know, the same that you see in any buffet that's fried and blah and, It's just—it's a different energy level. You go to these other places, and my husband calls it—you know—you're plugging into the mothership. Basically, (laughs) it's full of energy. People are mission-driven. They're all about the healing. they're all about you know looking for ways for people to become healthier and really connecting to why we became physicians to begin with, which is to help people. And why else would you give up a decade of your life to go to school and training um, if you didn't really have a, a, a servant's heart right to really see some changes occur And that was been really fun is just saying, wow, these are the people I want to practice medicine with. I love all my colleagues I've ever worked with, but it's a different it's a different environment when you all believe this and and it's changing. And that's where we started the plant-based telehealth too.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And the kind of the mission driven nature behind plant-based living and how veganism is not only amazing for your health, but also the planet and the animals. I, I went into engineering. That's what I went to school for. And that's what I did after school. And I was like, this is fun. This is cool. But it didn't really have that passion component for me and as i started learning more about nutrition and fitness i was like this is where i need to go like this is it just there was just like this gravitational pull kind of like what you're talking about and this is a community that is just so passionate and just um i think really on the right side of history and i think it's really cool to see all of this expanding so you mentioned uh, plant-based telehealth. I know you're a co-founder there. So could you talk about the mission of plant-based telehealth and what uh, what your kind of goals are as an organization?
2: Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so my co-founder <clears throat> Anthony Massiello lost 160 pounds. Um, let's see. He that was uh, he was 33, so that was about 16 years ago. He lives in New Jersey um, with his lovely wife and two boys, and. Um, we've been friends for a long time. We started some other projects together. And as, as my career progressed, I worked with Dr. Uh, Furman. I was his medical director in Florida for a period of about six, seven months until that clinic closed. But what, folks would come in and they would come in and stay with us for a period of four to six weeks to have dramatic changes. But when our investors pulled out, I didn't have a job for the first time in my life. And I was like, oh, (laughs) it's kind of a problem. I got kids going to college, I got issues here. Um, So what happened was a friend of mine was doing telemedicine. So I jumped on the telemedicine thinking, oh, this will just be a short period thing. People would call in for acute illnesses, meaning a cough, a cold, a UTI, a headache, you know, things like that. They just wanted to speak to a doctor about. And But I could never stop just looking at their past medical issue and going, hey, I see you have diabetes. Hey, you have high blood pressure. Hey, you got gout. And so I was like, have you ever heard of this thing called plants? (laughs) So what was happening is we're seeing this, people are coming back to me, which this was not set up to be a recurring appointment uh, platform. And the folks that I worked with, they're like, you know, Hey, Dr. Marvis, we're looking at the data, looking for some marketing uh, opportunities. And your data is very skewed. Um, You have A1Cs coming back from 11 to six in three months. And they're like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm telling them to eat plants. They're like, no, really? What are they doing? Are they doing more meds? Are they seeing another doctor? I was like, no, I'm telling them to eat some plants. <laughs> so they couldn't quite wrap their mind around it. So they never engaged with that as much as obviously as I had hoped. Um, but I was telling Anthony, he's like, hey, this is a great way to share with people. I'm going all over the country. I think I had 13 medical licenses at that time. And he's like, Lori, we should start our own telemedicine company. And I was like, are you insane? Because, uh uh-uh. uh, there's a lot of medical. I mean, just practicing medicine is a pain in the neck as it is. But to go across state lines, multiple licensing, the malpractice, the it's just insurance alone is enough to scare anyone. But we were not completely naive, but naive enough, I think, that we just went and started. It took us a year. So our goal was to have two. Uh, it's what we call a double-sided marketplace. So basically, you have the patients who are seeking the care of someone who understands a plant-based diet or understands lifestyle medicine from the interior of Alaska to South Dakota to Wisconsin to wherever they may be, and physicians who desire to see these patients um, but struggle to make a living or sustain a practice in a smaller community or even larger cities, um, just primarily focused on this. Otherwise they're working after hours, like I did trying to get, you know, share this information because you are literally driven. You can't, it's very a restless system. I'm sure you feel these, these urges, like just got to share it. And so now what we've done is we're, we're the middleman, right? We bring in the patients and we bring the physicians and they can meet together. Um, And it's been amazing. We had, we launched March, 2020. Right when COVID was (laughs) releasing, right? I mean, for us, it was a silver lining because we didn't have to overcome the initial objections, right? Because people were going to maybe struggle with telemedicine. It was still a very new type of uh, technology. And, but uh, COVID really just erased that overnight. People were looking for this technology, physicians were looking for it. So we're like, sweet. And we're practicing you know, the, the practice of getting healthy, which is really important. So what was COVID going after the ill and we couldn't see each other. So we were in a very sweet spot. Not that I want another pandemic to occur, but if you're going to launch a company like ours, it was, it was really good timing and that's how we start. We want to make, you know, lifestyle medicine, particularly, you know, plant-based slanted. Um, All of our physicians are plant-based. They practice the lifestyle that they're, they're working with their patients with And just provide this opportunity for everyone. I'm personally licensed in all 50 states and DC. Not that I want to see patients in all 50 states or DC, but as a co-founder and the first physician on board, because Anthony is not a physician. Um, He actually worked for Big Pharma. Really interesting story there. But uh, we really just want to get the availability. And we have several thousand patients now, nine doctors. We're bringing on four additional this year. And... um, yeah, we just closed our first round of funding in December. Um, it's, it's pretty remarkable where it's, 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 it's accelerating and I'm, we're, it's a lot. <laughs> so, you know, we bootstrapped this together and, um, it's really fun to see that we were right. Whenever we'd go to, you know, conferences and stuff, patients were always asking, where can I find a plant-based doctor? And we hear this over and over again. So Anthony's brainchild was uh, right on. And so it's just, uh, now we just got to. We just got to keep running with it. And um, it's very exciting to see what's happening.
1: Yeah, that's such a cool story. And it's so needed. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about how, just from my personal experience, plant based doctors trying to find that locally, for me, that doesn't really exist. Maybe if you're in LA or Austin or someplace, maybe that's a possibility. But for most people, um, this is the way to do that. And that's the way to get that kind of guidance. And it's, so empowering to have somebody in your corner who actually understands what you are trying to accomplish and is looking at science and not just trying to push pills. So absolutely love everything you're doing. Um, So we got started with uh, vegan nutrition and fitness coaching about four and a half years ago. And we were just like just starting to get rolling when uh, COVID hit, And we Mm. were just like, oh, man, this is terrible. (laughs) And um, and of course, like uh, the pandemic was terrible. But we had we experienced the same silver lining where it was like, oh, actually, there's a huge need for this. People want to become healthier. People uh, don't need to go to a a physical gym. People can work out at home. People can do all this stuff at home. They just need kind of the right guidance there. So very similar to kind of your story. And um, yeah, it's amazing what technology has enabled us to do and how we can connect with each other. And it's uh, just really cool. So I'd love to talk a little bit about uh, kind of whole food plant based, and hear your definition of what whole food eating uh, is.
2: Yes, absolutely. And it's a really interesting conversation. So when I first started prescribing, quote unquote, um, a plant based diet, I didn't understood understand that people need to. I needed to be speak very specifically because patients would just go and eat. Originally, they would just come back and say, "I'm really tired," but they, all they were eating was fruits and vegetables. <laughs> They never really thought about, you know, the grains and the beans being part of that. So I really had to be very specific. So a whole food plant-based diet is different from a vegan diet, right? So you can do Dr. Pepper and Oreos and be a vegan. Um, So there's no animal products involved, but the whole food plant-based diet really goes back to that unprocessed component, right? So It's it's fruits, it's vegetables, beans, whole grains, and nuts and seeds. I'm not really a proponent of, excuse me, added oils. Um, Just because the majority of my patients are (laughs) struggling to lose weight, Um, oils can interfere with insulin resistance and mess with sugars and different things. Um, Definitely add, increase other things. Now, is olive oil better than lard? Of course, (laughs) but if you're a young, healthier person, you know, I know my boys add oil sometimes to some things they're doing. Not such a big deal. But for those who are already ill, dealing with some current disease, we try to keep this as clean as possible. And so that's what that is. It's it's strictly it's, it's go to your produce section. You go to your bean sections. There be in a can, frozen food. That's fine too. Um, and you know, on occasion, some people may want to do some of the processed vegan foods and. That's uh, again, depending on the situation, that should be okay. But that you don't want to make that the majority of your food, right? So I personally don't like the Beyond Burgers and Impossible Burgers because it's too real for me at this point in my journey. Yeah. Anything I agree. that even is remotely like meat like freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> I'm I'm I started just because of the the health aspects for patients and I wanted to emulate that to my patients, but now. I would say I'm an ethical vegan as well, because I, I, the thought of that just freaks me out. But for the component of the population, which is probably the majority who will never go strictly vegan, this is an excellent way to transition. And still, we still get the benefits from the ethical side of it with the, with your climate and then the animals. So, but that's, that's the difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. So you talked a little bit about macronutrients. uh, um, At the beginning, I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on um, kind of macronutrient compositions. And I'm sure you don't really uh, promote any particular kind of macronutrients breakdown or anything like that. But I also know you're an endurance athlete, you run a lot. So what's your opinion on like higher protein intake specifically for athletes?
2: Yeah, no. So there there's a difference here, right? So when I have my 65-year-old granny, maybe not granny, but well, yeah, maybe a granny, um, sitting there saying, I'm drinking my protein shake. And I'm like, well, you don't necessarily need that protein shake. What you need is more fiber, <laughs> you know, so... There's that component. But now if I also have, you know, as like I said, I'm an athlete myself, an older athlete, things change a little bit. I've, I raised athletes, my husband's an athlete. Um, And so, you know, my middle one, Jonathan, he was working on um, for a period of time of about six months wanting to break the pull-up record in 24 hours, but then he started, you know, working and stuff kind of got in his way. He was getting up to 900 pull-ups in 90 minutes. I mean, it's freaking awesome. And I'm, this is someone or my son who's running triathlons or, you know, my husband who's training, you may need some higher protein intake, right? Because of the breakdown or if you have certain uh, goals as an athlete, yes, I think you do need additional protein. You can't eat it all. Um, For the majority though, of the normal sedentary Americans, (laughs) you don't need to worry so much about the macronutrients, as long as you're eating a sufficient calories to maintain your healthy body weight. Now I do have some women, um, which I've run across. Cause remember I've seen thousands and thousands of plant-based patients, thousands <laughs> regularly, hundreds a month. And some of the trends that I'm seeing is that my littler ladies that lose a lot of weight, they don't have huge appetites. Sometimes they're struggling, right? So I, I may push them towards other foods, more beans, more whole grains. And you know, because some of them, like I'm eating my pound of salad today, is like, well, you don't necessarily need a pound of salad. What I need you is eat more of these other, more satiating, you know, other foods. So there is some direction that needs to occur. And on occasion, if I have patients who are not um eating sufficient calories, I will bring up the macronutrient discussion and we will talk about that. So um again if you're wanting to maintain your muscle and lose fat, I feel like the protein is a little bit more important as well. So that's just the physiologic component of this. So I think there is some, each individual may need some special guidance and requirements, but for the majority, just eating a wide variety of colors, a wide variety of your foods, you should be fine.
1: Cool. Yeah. I agree hundred percent with all that. So let's talk a little bit about the science of food craving. So could you explain mm-hmm. this concept of reward-based learned eating and how this kind of creates a habit loop in our lives when it comes to the foods we're eating?
2: Yeah, so I guess, what, you know, it's interesting. Um, Ten years ago, I was always looking for helping people figure out, like, what was their motivation? And I I always thought back then, <laughs> I've learned since then, that, uh, behavior change started with motivation because I was, I'm very internally driven. If I want something, I'm just going to go do it. It doesn't matter. I had to, I grew up having to work hard. It's just, you just do the hours it comes. That's, what, that's the way it works. Yep. <laughs> and, but it's not always true for everyone else. And, um, I guess it's a special personality dysfunction I have that makes me, allows me to do that, but it's, it doesn't work for most people. And, um, so what's interesting was as I was trying to get people to move in this direction, I would explain all these wonderful things that could be coming their way and they're excited, but then they give up after two weeks. It's like the the new year's effect, right? You have this new year's resolution and then it just fades away. And I was like, what is it? What can I do to help get these folks to understand the value of what they're turning away from, right? It's, it's worth the hard work. It's worth doing, well, that's when I started looking into behavioral economics, right? So this is really key to help people understand that you can actually be the architect of your own behavior. You can be the architect of your cravings. You can be the architect, whether they, you like these cravings for exercise or you want to dismantle the cravings for you know, poor eating. Is it hard sometimes? Of course, but you have to plan. You have to think about it. You have to be proactive in your life. You can't just sit there and expect things to work out. Just that's not how it works. And so what ended up happening is I started diving into <clears throat> the research of um, habit loops. So I first read the book The Habit, The Power of Habit. And that was an amazing like aha moment for me. It's like, oh my goodness, is these habit loops with these different components. But the what was interesting about that, my mind went to okay, remove the prompt, change the behavior. So power or sorry, I, I should explain real quick how a habit loop is a prompt which causes a behavior, maybe eating, exercise, water, it doesn't matter. And you get a reward, which is kind of the biochemical dopamine effect in your brain to make it very simple. For example, uh, any habit that your brain makes is to make it easier. So you don't have to consciously think about something. For example, we've all driven places and we forget how we actually got there. That was just unconscious habit of driving. Um, you know, you get up, you, you, you go brush your teeth; it's your habit, right? So these are the things that you you don't have to remember how to get dressed; you just do it. It's like this is the habit you've learned how to walk. You've learned how to do all these things. Um, but now, when it comes to eating, for example, um, we learn this reward based learning. It starts early, um, especially in the United States. For example, let's say you go to a birthday party when you're a little kid, and you're with all your friends. And it's happy times, and you're getting ice cream and birthday cake, and you feel good, and you're eating this highly processed, very sugary, high-fat foods. It's releasing the dopamine. It's being reinforced with all this wonderful environment that you're in. And now you go through life, and you have these circumstances. There's Thanksgiving, high-fat, high processed. Ugh. Decadent food. You're with family. It should be a good time. You know all these good feelings associated with certain foods, and then when you go into life and you hit a stressful moment or you get bored and your your brain's looking to feel differently, it's like you remember that day you had that ice cream and it would tasted really good. So it's like let's go eat some more ice cream. So now that's that reward based learning, right? So where we get the reward and the brain's like, oh, let's do that again. Let's do it in a different circumstances. So the reward-based learning is avoiding a pain, right? So something helps us avoid pain, fabulous, let's do that. And if something gives us a positive, yes, let's do that too. So that reward is avoiding the negative and gaining the positive. So that's kind of where the brain is on the reward aspect of the habit loop. But when you look at a habit loop, people many times think it's a willpower. Willpower doesn't work, right? Because motivation is a finicky friend. It sticks around for a little bit and then it disappears. You know, um, We can't rely on motivation or willpower to help you change your habits because you will run out by you know 10 a.m. <laughs> it's all gone. Um, and most people struggle with a lot of their poor eating habits in the evening. Um, the other thing is <clears throat> when you look at... Um, people changing behaviors. They're like, oh, let's just substitute it. So people stop smoking. Then what do they do? They substitute eating processed foods, right? So we haven't changed the habit other than substituting different parts, but we're still in this loop, right? We can't dismantle this habit. So how do you dismantle a habit? You change the reward. And the way you do that is you make the brain understand that it's no longer a reward. And I have a quick story that really uh, exemplifies this. Um, is. I had a patient, this is even before I went on a plant-based diet. <clears throat> he smoked two to three packs a day. And nicotine is one of the most addictive substances in the world. And probably besides sugar. Um, what was interesting though, I would, oh my goodness, I talked to him about you're gonna get cancer, you could breathe better, you could save more money, blah, 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 blah. It was just like talking to a, a fence post. He's like, I don't want to quit. I enjoy it. I'm like, okay, like you can't help everyone. And so what ended up happening was one day he's sitting at home and his little granddaughter came up to him and she was crying. She's like, pop, pop. She goes, I don't want you to die. And he goes, I'm not going to die. And he says, yes, you are. You smoke. And all people who smoke die. He literally stopped smoking that day because now what had happened was that reward of the smoking was completely demolished by the this little girl that he loves so much crying and fearful of his death. And the heartache from that was enough to say, I don't care what cigarettes did to me before. It's not worth it to cause pain to my granddaughter who I love so dearly. And that's a perfect example. And that's kind of where we talk to um, the reward-based learning is that that reward has to be dismantled. And there's certain ways of doing that. Um, but that really is the key. to the
1: reward baseline. Awesome. So how do we take that power of reward based learned eating and apply it to healthier foods and start to kind of shift that perspective in our minds? Maybe for uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be someone who is super unhealthy to going plant based, but um, maybe just a uh, junk food vegan to more whole foods and stuff like that. How do we start shifting that perspective in our minds?
2: Right, absolutely. So, first of all, it's it's important to understand that until you know, until you think there's a problem, nothing's going to happen. Right. So, someone has to understand they have to have the here. We, I am going to use the word motivation. They have to have the motivation to want to change. Because again, we've all tried to lead people to the water of eating healthier, and they just turn away. And you know, whether it's someone we love or our patients or friends, colleagues. But so that's the number one rule. You can't force this upon anyone. So, but someone who's looking to learn, there's three things to understand about all human behavior. And this comes from uh, the Fog model. Um, BJ Fogg wrote the book called Tiny Habits. And um, a good friend of mine also with the reward-based learning was Dr. Jeb Brewer. Um, Dr. Jeb Brewer is also um, plant-based, which is amazing. He's an addiction psychiatrist. And then BJ Fogg is vegetarian. Um, I also searched him out, took a I paid a lot of money to take this one-month class with him. It was phenomenal. We, It's great to have friends. <laughs> so yep, even if you have to pay in their presence, it was great. <laughs> um, but I learned so much. in And uh, the FOG model of behavior basically is that all behavior, it doesn't matter what human, good, bad, or neutral, has three components. It has a prompt, right? So, you have to be prompted to do a behavior. You have to have the motivation to do the behavior. And you have to have the ability to actually do the behavior. For example, you got to go to the bathroom. Well, what's your prompt? The bladder is like, yo, my bladder's full. It's time to be done. You have the motivation because it's uncomfortable. And you have the ability because most of us have indoor plumbing. So you get up, you go to the bathroom, the reward is feel better. So that's that's a very simple explanation just to kind of get your mind thinking, what does that mean? So now when we think about the mindfulness aspect of it, which is kind of the work of Dr. Judd Brewer, is bringing that, you remember that subconscious or um, behaviors to the conscious thinking forefront, right? The, the thinking part of your brain. And we're going to, the cave membranes going to stop causing us to react. And we're going to be thinking about the things. we are become mindful of the things. We're not going to be mindless. We're going to be mindful. And a very good example of this is, I know um, you probably know who Dotsie Bosch is, <clears throat> So I interviewed her on my podcast and she's uh, the oldest female indoor cyclist who won, has won an uh, Olympic uh, medal. I, think, I believe she won a silver. And when I was interviewing her and you know, you, know, you do your research and you're looking at people. Um, she told me I was reading that she had been a cocaine addict and had an eating disorder um, prior to becoming uh, an Olympic athlete and I'm in my head going, I think it's fabulous that you're an Olympic athlete. But there's a lot of Olympic athletes, but there's very few that were prior to becoming Olympic athletes, that they were cocaine addicts and had eating disorders. And when I was interviewing her, I was like, Could you please explain to me how you overcame this? Because that was such an intense interest in mine. Because if someone can do this, if I can get a little nugget, I can teach other people about it. And what was interesting, She's like, yeah, I found a therapist that worked with me. I was like, what does that mean? I was like, what do you mean the therapist worked with you? And she said, well, the therapist let me do what I wanted to do. Again, I was like, I need a little more clarification, please. She's like, okay. She made me get these little blue dots. I'm like, okay. And she made me place them on anything that triggered my behavior. There's your prompt, right? And so she placed them on the toilet because she would vomit bulimia. She put them on the refrigerator for overeating. She put them in different places. And then she made me promise that when I saw the blue dot, because she was in the middle of this Basically subconscious, unconscious effect, right? She was like literally just moving, right? She was had a craving and she was just following the urge. She was just reacting. She said, but that blue dot made me stop. She goes, she made me promise to stop and sit and think and go through a few questions for 30 seconds and ask myself things like, how am I feeling internally? Check in with her body. Do I want to do this? How am I going to feel afterwards? Very objective questions, no judgment, right? She said, do you make sure there's no judgment involved? And then after 30 seconds, you could decide, do you want to proceed with the behavior or do you choose not to, right? So there's, what we're doing here is we're putting, one, we're bringing that reaction, you know, caveman, go eat this, go do that, or whatever that was, that craving is to the forefront of her thinking mind, right? And we're putting time and distance, between the behavior, right? We're giving her time to let the craving kind of come and go. Um, So there's some power in that as well. But that thinking, that becoming mindful is really the power here because what's going on in the brain is you're thinking going, hmm, do I want to go overeat? How am I going to feel afterwards? I'm going to feel stuffed. I'm going to feel bad. Um, I'm not going to meet my goals uh, of reversing my diabetes, weight loss, whatever it might be. But at the end of that 30 seconds, it's not willpower. It's a decision. It's not a willpower of turning away from the craving. Go away. I don't want to fight this. I don't want to fight this. You know, I'm going to fight you. Go away and giving up. But instead, you've turned into it. You've talked to it. You've acknowledged it. You're sitting here going, "Okay, now I see what's in front of me. I can either decide to do it or I can decide not to. And she said, Dati said, getting back to her story, you know, for the first few months, I did it. And I said, screw this. I'm going to go do my thing. And that's what she did. She continued in the behavior. But she said over three, four months, she said, you know what? I got to the point that I didn't want to do it anymore. And after a while, I just faded away. And then I was fine. I was like, okay. So that is a perfect example of how the mindfulness is such a powerful tool because it literally took the reward part of their habit and it totally demolished. It. It's like taking the foundation and removing it from your house it all comes crumbling down. So now the habit loop just didn't exist anymore because the reward was no longer there. The brain's like, why do I do this if there's no reward? It doesn't.
1: Is that 30 seconds mindfulness practice something that you encourage uh, people who struggle with poor eating habits or overeating? Is that something that you encourage them to practice?
2: Yeah. So I, I have a it's called RAIN It's a great way to, to do in this 30 seconds. Um, it was also developed by Dr. Judd Brewer, who has some amazing books, by the way, I'd encourage you to check out. It's um, The Craving Mind and Unwinding Anxiety. He has some great apps. Um, his website's called drjudd.com. Super, super nice guy. And yeah, so he came up with this acronym called RAIN. So it's basically um, when you feel that craving and you're like, I need to step back and let this, just let me figure this out. It's recognized that it's a happening, right? So you're turning into it, right? You're acknowledging its existence. Like, okay, I see you. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not bad for having. It's just a feeling. It's just an emotion. That's all cravings are. It's That's literally all it is. And then you're going to investigate, right? You're going to ask the questions. You're going to say, how am I feeling? Am I stressed? Am I bored? Am I actually hungry, right? We've lost our ability to understand what true hunger feels like. When's the last time I ate? I ate 30 minutes ago. So I'm probably not hungry when I want this cookie that I see here, right? Um, or maybe I ate four hours ago and I didn't prepare a good, healthy lunch. And maybe that's why I'm drawn to this cookie. You know, just looking at those type of internal things, or maybe I just had this really stressful email and now I'm like anxious and I want to eat because that's what I do when I to feel better. You know, that's the process, Right. So then you start asking your questions, well, how am I going to feel after I eat this? Or how am I going to feel after um, I choose something else to eat like an apple? You know, those are the questions that you start asking yourself and you're just investigating this thing. So remember what we're doing during that time is we're doing that, putting a distance between the actual, ah, got to have this happen and the action, right? Because the action is key here. We got to put that time and distance. We got to let our brain connect and engage. And we have to start thinking about because a mindful is an active process. It's mindfulness is being aware of your surroundings, being present in the moment, being aware of what's going on in your body. It's not, you know, some voodoo um, weird mantras or whatever. No, it's literally all it is, is just being sit and being present. With what's going on at this moment, because that's the really that's all we have right now, is right now sitting here thinking about what we're going to do. So we investigate, so we recognize, we acknowledge, we investigate, and then we note. And in is just keeping note, it could be mental notes, you could write it in a journal, you could write it <clears throat> in your phone, and you're just noting, well, this is what happened. These were my prompts. This was my trigger, you know, it was the stress, this was my initial response. And then this is my decision. Um, They may decide to continue to eat the food, but they're going to have a different outcome when they eat food mindlessly. Like someone's watching a TV show and they eat a whole bag of chips. They look down and they're like, wow, where did those chips go? (laughs) Did I eat those? Um, Versus someone who's like, reaching for the chips and says wait let me do this rain exercise and they still choose to do the the chips maybe they only eat a third of the bag or a few and like you know really i don't want these anymore i've satisfied whatever that was and i don't really feel so well you know after eating this so it's a different response afterwards um too so i think that's where the practice and it's like a muscle you have to practice it daily And it gets stronger and stronger and then it gets easier and easier because you're literally, you're just chopping away at that reward one little nick at a time. And before you know it, you're like, I'm okay actually without this.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I think that's a really good practice. And I think mindful eating is really important for everyone, regardless of kind of what your food struggles may be or what your goals are. So I think that's really helpful advice. So Anyways, I want to really thank you for your time. Uh, Lots of awesome tips in here. I loved hearing all these little stories and kind of your background. So really appreciate your time, Dr. Marbis. How can our listeners connect with you?
2: Thank you. Um, A few different ways. First of all, it's plantbasedtelehealth.com. We have some amazing doctors, uh, including the Dr. Michael Clapper, who's been practicing medicine almost as long as I've been living. Yeah. He's <laughs> awesome. Quite. Yeah. He's incredible. Um, a, a very kind hearted human. And we have other amazing doctors just like that. Dr. Chris Miller, who has her own lupus recovery story. We have, uh, a previous mechanical engineer worked on the space shuttle, went back to medical school, um, to I actually just med- interviewed her
1: a few days ago. Oh,
2: Nikki. Awesome. Yep. And so, um, you know, there's just some incredible physicians and and we have some great ones coming on as well, who just really want to help people. So you'll be in very good hands. We can order labs. We can order medications, you know, doing your normal doctor stuff. We also see patients internationally. Um, We can't order labs or meds, but we can certainly give you some kind of advice. And um, then I have a podcast um, on the website. It's called Healthy Human Revolution. I'm on Google uh, iTunes, Spotify. I've had it, I guess we're going on six years now. And, um, yeah, so those are the the two main places I'm on Instagram, not a whole lot, but I try. I really yeah.
1: try. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to keep up with all this stuff. Oh, There's so yeah. many different things you can publish and you're seeing hundreds of patients a month and stuff. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a
2: lot. It's a lot running a business. And then it's just, it's getting to be a, it's beginning to get a little overwhelming, but it's all good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, you're doing amazing work uh, for the animals, for patients. Um, Appreciate all of your service for our country and just everything you're doing. Uh, Obviously, you're um, just having a lot of value that you're giving to the world. And uh, I really appreciate that. And it's been a pleasure getting to know you. So thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, Leif. I appreciate the time and and having me on your show. I really want to say thank you.
0: We really hope that you enjoyed this episode. To take the next step in your vegan fitness journey and get access to all our best content for free, check out TheVeganGym.com. We'll teach you everything you need to know to torch body fat, break through plateaus, build lean vegan muscle, and supercharge your health. Get started right now at TheVeganGym.com. Until next time, peace, love, and gains.